0: book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel in the Old Testament, page 225, if you're using a blue pew Bible. And for the next two weeks, I'm going to try to attempt something very ambitious, and you can tell me, uh, not today, maybe in a couple weeks, if I was successful. Uh, First, I want to review this sweeping history of 1st Samuel in two weeks, all the whole book in two weeks. And I want us to look at these, uh, just some of the very fascinating characters in 1st Samuel. I mean, it is an interesting piece of history, but what makes history interesting are the the people, the events that happen in this time frame. And the the reason I'm doing this really is twofold. One Uh, We're going to begin in uh, two weeks a new series on 2 Samuel. So if you're new to Christ Community Church, last year we did 1 Samuel. And uh, we took a little break to do the Gospels in the fall. And now, as this year begins, we're going to get to the second part of 1 Samuel, which is 2 Samuel. And talk about David and him being the king. Uh, The other thing I want, and I hope that happens during this sermon and the next one is by looking at these events and looking at these people, you're prompted in some way as to what you might want to put on your prayer card. As Morgan said, we we started a tradition several years ago now uh, where you would just write things on a card, whatever you wanted to put down. No one was going to read it except for you. And then you sealed it on a Sunday morning here, and then we put it in a glass jar, and we have it in our office, and we, we go through them occasionally. We pray about all the prayer requests in the glass jar and then at the end of the year, you receive a prayer card back. So we're not going to open it up. We're not going to read it. It's just things a way for you to think about what you'd like to see God do for you in 2020. And it, it, we get to pray for those things, even though we don't know what they are. And at the end of the year, you get to see you know, how God has answered those prayers in some way or another. So I'm hoping that as I go through this week's material next week, something is prompted in you to think, hey, I might want to add that or put that as part of my prayer card. Now, to start with 1 Samuel, you got to get a little background. Uh, the, the, the thing you should do before you read 1 Samuel is to finish the book of Judges. Joshua, you remember, Joshua takes over from Moses. He leads the people into the promised land. He's a great military leader. He establishes some boundaries, and uh, and he's the one who helps establish this new... A nation called Israel. But when he departs the scene, when he dies, the people, the Israelites decide they'd rather move away from God. And so like a kite that cut its own string, it it sort of, the, the nation was determined somehow this string, this connection with God is holding us back from rising higher. And so they reached out and cut the connection. And instead of going higher, they got disconnected with God or from God. And they ended up very quickly moving in a downward spiral. And Judges is the history of this downward spiral. It's just one bad uh, series uh, after another. And God rescues the people with these leaders who are called Judges. And then it ends in Judges chapter 21 verse 25 with these words. In those days, there was no king in Israel, there was no leader, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So when you have a a nation that doesn't have a leader, when you have a church that doesn't have a leader, when you have a family that doesn't have a leader, and everyone just does whatever's right in their own lives, it's, it's it's a church, it's a family, it's a nation in a downward spiral. And so that's what you're supposed to be thinking of as you move into 1 Samuel. Here's a nation that has cut itself off from the Lord, and it needs a leader. And so we're going to look at three different people here. We're going to look at Hannah. She's the very first person who starts the book, Samuel. And then we're going to look at God. <coughs> first of all, Hannah. Israel is a nation it's looking for a leader, but... Notice that in the first chapter, it doesn't start with the prominent and powerful. You're, you're supposed to be looking for this next judge, this next, uh, this next Samson, this next Gideon, this next Deborah, this next person who's going to come and rescue the people. But it begins with a prayerful, barren woman named Hannah. Everything else in 1 Samuel rests on this first chapter of a woman from a no-name town who comes and faithfully prays before the Lord. And this little prayer forms a foundation from which David springs forth. First Samuel verses one and two mirror Genesis one and two. God specializes in making something out of nothing. In fact, it's a, a biblical pattern. Whenever God's ready to, to write a new chapter in the life of his people, his preferred pattern is, let's start with nothing. That, that's when we can really get going. If, if you've got to be added to the mix in order for something to happen, then that's not a good thing. But God says, hey, if we've got nothing, then we've got everything that we need. And so he starts here, and he starts with nothing. And these three towering figures, Samuel, Saul, and David, they all rest on this nearly unseen foundation of this tiny little squeaky prayer that we hear from Hannah. Hannah, if you remember, she's in a a painful situation. (coughs) She's married to a man who has two wives. One is Hannah. And she finds, over time... Hannah discovers that she can't have a child. She's barren. And if you look at chapter 1, verse 6, it says this, The Lord had closed her womb. I think to think about that. Here's this woman who's praying for a child. The Lord had closed her womb. See, Hannah understands that her situation isn't an accident. It's an action of God. This painful situation she finds herself in isn't just by accident. No, she understands the Lord's in charge of her womb. It's all by the actions of God. And this is at the heart of Hannah's struggle. It might actually be at the heart of your struggle with the Lord. Somehow you're struggling with, how can God be sovereignly in control of all things and me have this painful situation? I somehow can't push those two things together. And Hannah's struggling with pushing those two things together. And so she has a response, which is a kind of an odd response. She and her husband have gone to Shiloh, verse 9. This is where the, the temple is in Israel at this point. And they're having a meal together. And then notice this, after they had eaten and drunken in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now, you would just pass right by that. But this means something. This little phrase, Hannah rose. Hannah stood up, it says. It might, you might think of it as Hannah took charge of her situation. She, she made a decisive action, and her decisive action was to stop complaining and start praying. I find myself in this situation. I'm in this situation, not by accident, but by God's action. And I've been complaining about it. And I'm going to stand up. And I'm going to say, I'm going to stop this complaining. I'm going to go before the Lord. I'm going to say what's on my heart. And then I'm just going to leave it with him. That's what I'm going to do. And that might be that might be something you need to do. You have a situation can't figure out why God has you in this situation because it's not doesn't seem to be helpful or easy. But instead of really praying about it, you mostly complain about it. Even in your praying, you're mostly complaining. But Hannah does something. She stands up and notice in her, her notice her prayer, verse eleven. O Lord of hosts. If you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant, and remember me, and not forget your servant, but will give your servant a son, then I will give him back to you, to the Lord, all the days of his life, and no razor shall ever touch his head. As part of a vow of giving somebody over to the Lord. Oh, just just look, oh Lord of hosts, Hannah resets her compass. Oh Lord of Hosts Lord you're the you're the Lord of a massive army You're at the center of everything You're the one who's in charge and I am your servant I'm just a soldier I'm just a soldier here. Whatever you say, whether it seems for my benefit or not, I, that's all I am. I'm just marching in your your line. I'm not the one who's charting the course. I'm just a servant. You're the Lord of hosts, and I'm a part of that host. I'm a, I'm a servant. So the beginning of Hannah's prayer gets her out of her own personal orbit and into God's orbit. What a just, just, just if you would take that into 2020. As you sit down and pray in the morning or the evening, just say, Lord of hosts, I'm your servant. I don't have an agenda. I want to get in line with your agenda. You've got things in mind that I'm never going to see in my lifetime, and I just want to get behind that. That's exactly what she's saying. And so she acknowledges that God doesn't answer to her, but she answers to him. And I just wonder sometimes in my own prayer if... If that's how I operate in my own prayer, that God doesn't answer to me, I answer to Him. Because I wonder sometimes if I repeat my prayers and I think, "What does this sound like, Paul?" It sound like God answers to you, like, "Hey, God, here's the plan, and if you can get on the plan, let's more. this would be awesome. And see, Hannah has to get outside of that orbit and say, no, I'm praying to the Lord of hosts. He's the Lord of a great army, and I'm just one of these people. I'm a servant. Great great way to start a prayer. Look upon the affliction of your servant. Remember me. What I love about this is this woman who's from a tiny little town in a mountain part of Israel that you and I would never know and she actually believes that there's a god who listens to her prayer. There is a god who listens to your prayer. No matter how how off the path you seem to be right now, God is listening to your prayer. Hannah knows there's a god who's listening in, and so she stops complaining, she starts praying, and if you give me your give give to me your servant a son, I'm going to give him back to you. Now This can sound a little bit like bargaining. But I want to say I don't think it is because I think there's been a shift in the object of Hannah's affection. Hannah's going to have a son, but she's not ever going to live with a son. She's going to give him back to the Lord. And here's how Tim Keller explains Hannah's prayer. Lord, all of my life I've wanted to have a child for me. But now I still want to participate in bearing a child But I want to do it for you. Lord, if you had given me a child before this prayer, I would have made him an idol. It would have been a disaster for me. See, there are some things you're praying for that if you got right now, it'd be a disaster. Because you would make it an idol. I would make it an idol. But now, Keller goes on, I'm redirecting my desires towards you. Therefore, since i 'm asking for you and not for me, however you want to answer this prayer, I can accept your decision. Hannah stood up she she took action to to pray, she trusted God with her her request and if you notice in verse eighteen of chapter one, you get a sense of her of the peace in her soul, and she said she 's talking to Eli the priest, let your servant find favor in your eyes Then the woman Hannah. went her way, ate, and her face was no longer sad or she was at peace. Notice that that progression. Hannah's prayer changes Hannah. It's prayer, peace, (coughs) then pregnancy. If she'd really been still centered around herself, it would have been prayer, pregnancy, then I'm at peace. But she gets at peace first and then says, God, whatever you do, maybe you're going to give me a son. Maybe you're not. I'm I'm, I'm still going to be at peace. So Hannah's prayer changes Hannah. Three years later, Hannah shows up at Shiloh with a son named Samuel. And she leaves him in Shiloh for the rest of his life. She gets to see him once a year. She comes back. Eventually, Samuel becomes a great leader. Samuel brings order to chaos in Israel. Samuel is the one who anoints Saul and David the king. But it all began with this squeaky little prayer of a woman from a little town in a rocky village who really believed that God was listening to her and wanted to do something. And perhaps for some of you, this is a a year to stand up. And when I say stand up, I mean stand up in prayer. It's not to take charge, it might be to let God take charge. You've been standing up for yourself the whole time, but now it's time to stand up and say, God, I'm just a servant. You are the Lord of hosts. And I can't figure out why you're doing what you're doing, but I want you to know I'm a servant. I'm not the Lord. And you don't answer to me, I just answer to you. So whatever situation you put me in, my role is just to be faithful. That's my whole role. Not to manipulate things and make things turn out this way. Just to live as a faithful servant in whatever God gives me for the year ahead. Second person we see here then is Samuel. And I really love this chapter, chapter 3. And there's so much uh, richness and so much... Uh, so many things to compare here that we can't see at all. But it represents a huge transition in the story where Samuel begins to move towards becoming the leader. Now, pay attention to the first few verses here in chapter 3. Now, the young man Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. And there was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, who was the priest... His eyesight had begun to grow dim so they could not see. He was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God, which we'll come back to in a minute, had not gone out yet. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. There's, the word of the Lord is rare. There's no frequent vision. The lamp hadn't gone out quite yet. The lamp of God is this, you've probably seen it, it's this candlestick that looks like branches. It sort of looks like a tree. It's got seven candles, one in the center and then three on each side that branch branch out. And in part, it represents the burning bush where God speaks to Moses. And so it's inside the temple to remember that God speaks here. And it's in the temple where Samuel is. And you're supposed to feel some danger in chapter 3. The word of God is no longer communicated from the house of God. And when the word of God is no longer communicated from the house of God, it's, a tr- it's trouble. It's trouble for a whole nation. It's trouble for this city. It's trouble for the people of God. And if you're new to Christ Community Church and you see as you walk in part of our mission statement, the very first thing, teaching the Bible. Because if we ever lose this or substitute this, then we're in the dark. And we don't have any way to give direction to ourselves or to anyone else. And so what's happened is that it feels like the, the Bible is getting shut and it's being put underneath. And there's still lots of voices out there, but we've lost God's voice somehow. And it hasn't quite gone out. And you see what happens is there's a contrast here between Eli and Samuel. Notice Eli. First of all, the writer describes his physical condition. He can no longer see. It's not just that he can no longer see physically. He, he can't see spiritually anymore. He's not a good leader. He, he's jettisoned the word of God for something else. There's no frequent vision because he stopped following after God's word. Notice where Eli's laying down. He's in his own place. He's beginning to disconnect himself, even as the priest from God. And then notice in verse 13 with me, Eli has two wicked sons. And it says this, God says eventually to Samuel, and I declare to Eli that I'm about to punish his house forever forever. For the iniquity that he knew. Now think about this. Here's a man who's turned away from the word of God. His sons are blaspheming God and he didn't restrain them. So he's disconnected himself from God and what happens? Evil walks right in and he doesn't do anything about it. That's what happens when you disconnect yourself from God. Evil walks right in, even in the face of your own sons, and you don't do anything about it. You don't restrain them in any way. Compared to Samuel, the lamp of God hasn't gone out yet. Samuel isn't lying down in his own place. He's in the temple of the Lord. He's put himself in a position to hear God's word, which is exactly what happens And notice he's laying down near the lamp of God, resembling the burning bush. Now, let me just read for you that little passage that's in Exodus 3. You'll be familiar with it. And Moses said, I will turn aside and see the great sight. So Moses is out in the desert. He sees a burning bush that's burning, but it's not consumed. And when the Lord saw that Moses had turned aside, God called to Moses out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. And now here in chapter 3, Samuel, Samuel, verse 4. And Samuel responds, here I am. See, God's leading a a new exodus. And he's choosing somebody who's going to come to him and and follow after his words. These, These themes... These themes of how God works. Maybe something a little nicer than that. Exodus chapter 3. God's calling somebody who's going to follow after his word. And going to go right into the teeth of darkness in Pharaoh. And I don't care what happens, Moses says, I'm going to follow after God's word. And Samuel comes along and there's another time of darkness and God says, I need somebody like Samuel. I need somebody like a Moses to, to start a whole new exodus. I need somebody who says, I don't care what the culture doing, even inside the church. I'm going to stand next to God. I'm going to get in God's way. I'm going to be next to him. So when he speaks, I'm going to say, here I am. Here I am. And you know what? God might be Looking for you in 2020 to start a new exodus. Maybe it's not going to be for a whole nation. Maybe it's going to be for your family. Maybe it's going to be leading one person away from darkness, into the light. This one person that you work next to or is in your neighborhood or God providentially puts in your life, somehow you're going to be the person, but he's looking for somebody who's ready to say, I'm going to go wherever God's word leads me. I'm not going to be in charge. I'm just going to be a servant. And this is what Samuel is. Maybe maybe that's something you want to put on your prayer card. See, you know this. We don't need any more Eli's. We don't need anybody else dressing up like they're Christian and not following after the Lord. We've got plenty of those kinds of people. God's looking for just a few people who would say whatever he says Even if it doesn't feel good to me, or even if it's against what the culture is pushing us towards, I'm going to move in that direction. And when Samuel battens that down, then there's hope. I want you to see how it spills out in this chapter. After that call, verse 15, Samuel lay until morning when he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. You're supposed to just love that. The doors are opening to the house of the Lord. People are going to get healed now. People are going to get help now because somebody is listening to God's word. Verse 19. And Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and love this phrase, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And then finally, verse four, and the word of Samuel came to all Israel. You See that one, one woman who trusted that God was still listening and working for people who say, I'm your servants, gives birth to this one man who says, I'm going to stay near the Lord. And God says, hey, let's start a new exodus. There's hope. There's hope for people. There's hope for a city. There's hope for for the world. I wonder if maybe some of us here, might be a little bit like Eli. Somehow our light's gotten dimmer. It hadn't quite gone out, but if you look back over the last decade, somehow your light for the Lord shone brighter at some point in the past. And whatever the things, circumstances, people, money, disappointments, I mean, I don't know, something's gotten in the way to block that. But it's not. I want you to hear it's not too late. You can put yourself back in the way of the Lord and then say, God, I've, I've been following after these other things and I want to just follow after you. For sure all of us could put on our prayer card, Lord, raise up more Samuels. More Samuels for our city, more Samuels for our, our nation. Number three, I want you to see how God works. Again, there's... Too much here to, to see in one, one setting. But chapter 4, the Israelites now live 20 years in a superficial religious stage. They know how to perform the religious duties, but that's all. It's just a performance. And God is a token, not a treasure. And yet when they really need God to do something, they're willing to come and, and get him to act. You ever done that? I mean, I'm sort of operating on my own, but whoops, I've come across something I can't do. God, can you slip in here and make this happen for me? It's not treating God as a treasure. It's a, he's a token. I use him just when I need to get through this next gate. Chapter 4, the Israelites find themselves battling their perennial enemies, the Philistines. This is where Goliath came from. And they decide they're just going to fight on their own. They get clobbered. They get clobbered, and they come back and say, well, let's pull out our token. And their token is the Ark of the Covenant. Ah, we went out to fight without the Ark of the Covenant, this place that represents God's presence. You remember the Ark of the Covenant was what was used to march around Jericho, and the walls came tumbling down. Remember that? And so maybe they think, hey, we we didn't get our, our magic charm out and we got to bring the Ark of the Covenant in. And as soon as the Ark of the Covenant comes in, then the Philistines are going to all fall down. It's because we're just using God as a token. He's not really a treasure. They bring the Ark of the Covenant into uh, the camp. And verse 5 of chapter 4, so the people, verse 4, so the people sent to Shiloh, brought from there the Ark of the Covenant, and these priests, Eli, Hophni, Phinehas, and as soon as the Ark of the Covenant, verse 5, came into the camp, all Israel gave a mighty shout. So the earth resounded. A mighty shout. You're supposed to remember that. And the Philistines hear the shout. They get a little bit nervous, but they say, hey, it's just a shout from man. And they go and fight with Israel, verse 10 and 11. So the Philistines fought and Israel was defeated and they fled every man to his home and there was a great slaughter for there fell of Israel 30,000 soldiers and the Ark of the Covenant was captured. So it's this depressing moment in history where the people finally realize we've just, we've just been using God as a token and now we're defeated. And for four, three more chapters... 5, 6, and 7, 20 years goes by. Even after that bitter defeat, 20 years of just being superficial goes by. They nurse old sins. They never take God seriously. And they spend their life pretending. And then when you come to chapter 7, something happens. Notice it in verse 2. The house of Israel began to lament before the Lord. They have what I would call, and I mentioned this in the sermon before, their Popeye moment. Now, only about four people here are even going to remember that reference. The Popeye, the sailor man. Remember this guy, he eats the spinach and he gets these unusually large forearms. Um, he's, di- not, he's, not, he's disproportionately, you know, configured. But now, once he eats the spinach, he can do whatever he wants, Right. And what he says right before he pops open the can of spinach is he says this line, I've had all I can stands, and I can't stands no more. And then you know, uh uh-oh, Popeye's going to go get Brutus or whoever the person is. I've had all I can stands, and I can't stands no more. And that's where Israel gets... I am sick of my spiritual superficiality. I'm sick of myself. I've had all I can stand of me. And I can't stand myself anymore. God, I am sick. I'm lamenting of my own sin. And that is the beginning of real health. See, many of us have a sin and we're, kind of sorry about it but we're not sick of it and so when you're just kind of sorry about it you just nurse it along it never you never really say I'm so sick of this I'm going to do something about it and they come and say we're we're after 20 years of being fake I'm finally ready to say God you have got to do something and they make a very critical smart choice the very first thing they do Is they go find Samuel. This is a key. This is a key for many of us here. You get sick of something and then you say, I'm going to do something. You're not going to get very far. Instead, you go find somebody like a spiritual coach who can say, okay, now you're ready to go. That's the very first. They they lament. They're sick of themselves. Then they go find outside help, spiritual coaching to help them make progress. Now, I want you to notice Samuel's a tough spiritual coach. Verse 3, chapter 7. If you are returning. Mm. If, if you're returning. See, Samuel's smart. He wants to try to test the legitimacy of their lament. See, he knows you can lament but not really repent. You can weep but not really walk away. I mean, you you've seen this especially if you're a parent, child, I'm really sorry I got caught. Then you're not really sorry. You're just sorry you got caught. And so he's trying to say, guys, I want to find out if you really mean it, if you're really sick of it. If if you were returning if you're returning then it's time to remove foreign gods. Oh man. It's time to change your behavior. Paul, you just can't hold on to that anymore. You got to let that go. You can't do that anymore. You've got to return. You've got to remove things away that used to be what gave you approval, what that made you feel Important, what caused your life to move forward, you thought. You gotta you gotta let go of those things. This man, this is a hard thing to do. Because it could be food. But you have to have food to eat, so you can't not eat. But somehow your mind's got wrapped around food. Could be money. You have to have some money to live, but. It's hard to know how, how do I let go of it, but yet I'm still going to be using it. It could be some kind of relationship that you're in, but I can't not be in that relationship. It's very difficult, but there's some way with a spiritual coach you can get this way of I'm letting this thing go. And third, you're going to start directing your heart towards the Lord. It's January 5th. Some of you made some kind of promise five days ago to read your Bible every day. Wonder how you doing? It's only five days, and you're thinking, "Well, today I'm gonna catch up." I mean, I know. <laughs> I'm like, dude, you're catching up after five days, but you see, I'm. I, you see what he's saying? This this is not complicated. I mean, it's hard, but it's not complicated. I've got things that are killing me. They're like poison. I gotta let those things go. I can't do that on my own. I gotta go find somebody who can help me. And third, I'm just got to put myself in the way of God's word. That's how it happens. It's not a magic trick. It's not, you know, all this stuff. This is the way God works. And then God sends in a little test. The Philistines. Let's see what happens when the pressure gets on. I mean, it looks like it's real, but let's find out. We don't know until we really put weight on it. And the Philistines come and in verse 8, it says this of chapter 7. And the people of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. See, it's not, it's not us anymore. It's God. God is going to do something. We're, we've exchanged ourselves for God. Now he's going to do something. Verse 10 As Samuel was offering up a burnt offering to the Philistines, they drew near to attack Israel, but the Lord thundered. I love that. We're trading in your shouting to God's thundering. I'm just not going to shout to get my way anymore. I've tried that with my son, I've tried that with my spouse, I've tried that with my boss, I've tried that with myself. I just shout and shout and shout and demand that things happen, and that's not happening anymore. Instead, I'm going to rely on desperate prayer and say, I'm a servant, and whatever God decides to do, I will be faithful in my role. That might be something some of you need to put on your prayer card. Just, Lord, help me to stop shouting. Help me to stop being so demanding of you, of me, of other people. And just move move all that shouting into desperate prayer. And then, whatever you decide to do, you may give me a son, you may not. You may give me the thing I want, you may take it away. I don't know. But I'm just going to be faithful in 2020. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be faithful. I'm not going to be worried about how the things turn out. I'm just going to be faithful that's as far as we could get for one one sermon i really want 2020 to be a a healthy spiritual year for you i can't determine the circumstances but there is a way to get healthy and god helps us here in these first chapters one way is we remember one way to get healthy is remember the, what lord has done for us and so we remember that every First Sunday of the month, come in and remember that he's the one who's done it all for us. This is the person that's at the center of the universe, not ourselves. So if you're a follower of Christ, we welcome you to come forward and take communion with us. If not, just ask you to stay seated and think about your 2020. Who's, Who's at the center? What are you following? Let's pray together. Lord as we come to this communion table and we think about what you've done for us we we remember that your your blood is the one your blood is what bought us freedom your body is what gave us life would you take these common elements and use them for uncommon means we pray in Jesus name amen